I think to the folks who are saying telemedicine will get rid of brick and mortar, I actually think we can be that front door that brings in more customers. And there's completely a supernatural relationship between us, a digital clinic, and a brick and mortar. Welcome to Subscriptions Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders in the subscription space, share their best tips and stories, and learn how you can up-level your subscription business today. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Subscription Scaled. I'm your host, Nick Frederick. With me today is Joe Spector, who is the founder and CEO of Dutch. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have you here today and excited to jump in here and learn a little bit more. But why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to start Dutch? Sure. So I've been a startup entrepreneur for 15, 20 years now. You lose track. And I've been hustling my way through. About six years ago, I started what is now Hims which is a telemedicine company, direct-to-consumer, focused on men. We ended up launching HERS on the women's side. And I did a lot to get that business to where it is today and a lot of learnings. And as the pandemic set in, I um, was one of the many folks who got a pandemic puppy and looked at the landscape of veterinary care and realized that Things haven't really changed on that front. And I felt like I had the tools and the knowledge to create a business that simplified virtual care, made it more accessible, more affordable. Uh, And so that's how I started Dutch. Um, But I think I've always been kind of the type of person who is going to just, you know, kind of be the mechanic when it comes to startups, just start and just keep moving forward. And yeah, I mean, I've really enjoyed doing it. And now Dutch has been around for about a year and a half, connecting pet parents with vets virtually. Just on that point right there, what do you think it is about yourself or other entrepreneurs that just wants to identify the problem, figure it out, kind of what are the pieces of the puzzle and put them all together? Like what interests you in that and keeps you moving forward? Something in the brain that's turned off. (laughs) (laughs) A normal fear of failure that you don't have. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I think it's definitely, and it's funny, you know, before the show, we're talking about being a parent. I think, and now with my own kids, I really see that combo of nature and nurture. And on the one hand, I think I was born this way. I was born to run into the fire and wanting to disrupt authority. I think I've been like that since I was five years old that I recall. And at the same time, I think I've had many experiences in my life. I'm actually, I'm a refugee from the former Soviet Union. So I've had experiences where I lived in a world where everything was taken away and we had nothing. So that fear of failure isn't as present in me because I've kind of been to the bottom. And so now it's like, it's all upside. Yeah. Interesting. That could go in one of a couple of different directions though. Once you've built yourself up to a certain point, you know, of success, however you define that, you may be adverse to losing it. So what do you think it is about you that makes you just want to go after, or to use your words, run into the next fire? 
I think that it's also realizing life is short and you want to make an impact. And the only way to really make an impact is to roll the dice and take big risks. Having said that, of course, I'm not running into any fire, any building that's burning. I think you learn calculated risk and how to minimize risk and things you're good at, things you're not good at. But I think that I started my career before being an entrepreneur as an investment banker. And that is the ultimate, because it's essentially, and that's kind of all I knew at the time, it's a safe job, pays well, but there's going to be a pretty massive limit to the impact you can make in a steady job like that. So I think if you have realizing that if you want to change an industry, change behavior, you have to draw outside the lines and take big risks. Well, let's go back to when you started Dutch. You said a year and a half ago. So right there in the throes of the pandemic, right? I'm sure this is a business you wish was established before all of that happened, since nobody wanted to go to the vet there for a period of time. But what was it about that time period and what was happening? I mean, you definitely mentioned an industry that hasn't really been disrupted or hasn't fundamentally worked any different than it has for decades, which is certainly true. But why did you see this as an area that needed some change? So often change, especially in highly regulated or built-in industries, requires a brute force in order for people to make the change. And the pandemic on the pet side created this perfect storm on multiple fronts. So first, you had massive pet adoptions. There were something like 40 million pets adopted during the pandemic. So millions and millions of pets being adopted. At the same time, you have had, and there's been sort of, and by the way, they said this, you know, the pandemic sort of exacerbated trends that were already going on, but they just made them more clear or worse. So on the veterinary side, there's been a almost a flat line of vets. There's an ultimately a vet shortage. There used to be one vet per thousand pets, and now there's one vet per 1500 pets. So you have a massive vet shortage. In addition, most of the younger vets today are women. It's something like 80, 90% are women. And so many of those women were the ones staying home with kids during the pandemic. So you already had a vet shortage, and now the, the many vets are taken out of the workforce because of COVID. So that led to an even worse situation. And then on top of that, you had most vet clinics being locked down. So good luck getting any care at all. And then you're having to potentially go to urgent care, which is going to cost you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. So that's kind of like what I mean. It's just, it was the perfect storm an unfortunate storm on multiple fronts, both for consumers as well as veterinarians. And I think one of the knocks, and again, I saw this on the human side, there's so much fear when it comes to change with respect to telemedicine. And some of the fears are that with telemedicine, you will have vets prescribing, you know, vets in a sweatshop in India prescribing drug-laced medication and just because of telemedicine through the mail order system, 
dogs are going to get bad medicine and knowing that dogs will die and no one will go to the vet anymore. Every vet will run out of business. And I think as we saw in human telemedicine, of course, none of that materialized. People still go see their doctor. Virtual care is just simply another option. And in fact, when kind of none others exist, it solves very few problems, but it can give you same day access as opposed to waiting several weeks. So I think that, but again, when you're faced with this brute force of the reality, the disconnect is just so great between access to care and affordability that people are almost forced to give it a try. And then they realize, you know what, everything's okay. Dogs aren't dying, that mm -hmm. offices are still busy, like we're all okay, this is working. But for people who are not like me, who are not so used to change and chaos, it takes this brute force situation for people to finally give in and say, okay, we're willing to try this new method. Absolutely. Well, do you think telemedicine still probably isn't, has got a ways to go, right? But I think it's come a long yeah. way, right? Even yeah. I remember doing my first telehealth appointment and being like, how in the world is this going to work? And it was a surprisingly great experience, very efficient, got exactly what I needed. It was a great experience. Do you think because that is ahead, that's kind of helping bring what you guys are trying to do along with it, that people are like, yes, this can actually be done over a Zoom call or something similar to that? Exactly. I think the biggest use case there too is uh, pediatric telemedicine, because one of the things that the naysayers on the vet side will say, well, dogs can't talk, so that's different. But the thing is, we've now had even pediatric telemedicine. In fact, I've used it for my five-year-old when it was going to take a month to see someone in person and we could see, have a virtual appointment that same week. And again, she's not necessarily going to talk about her problems, but we actually got care much faster, much cheaper, solved the problem. And so I think seeing the pediatric telemedicine take off is something that is definitely an example that virtual care for another living creature that can't talk is possible. So is it then fair to say that this is a complementary service to traditional care or urgent care with just like a hospital is to humans, this is to animals. Absolutely. Virtual care is definitely not a replacement, but when you're faced with your dog has a rash and you can wait to see someone for three weeks and kind of pray that rash goes away, but then there's going to be 10, 20% of the time when that becomes worse. Or you can see someone same day and to the extent it's low hanging fruit, they might say, try this while you're waiting for your appointment. Here's something you can try in the meantime, still go see someone in person if it continues to get better, uh, worse, but you're kind of, you're better off having been able to connect to someone right away, or they could see you and say, run to the emergency room. Now you shouldn't wait. Like, but any yeah. sort of actual real vet advice is probably better than having to wait several weeks. So I think it's another tool for someone to get care. It's definitely not a replacement. Well, and as being a pet owner myself, and, and I think a lot of people are experiencing this now, the cost of owning a, a pet is astronomical oh my goodness. now, right? Yeah, just going, to, 
the vet for a checkup is like, again, I don't know how a lot of people even afford this, but do you think people are viewing that as a more affordable way to own a pet as well? Absolutely. So the Dutch service is $15 a month. It's incredible value. We only use 100% veterinarians. So you're not talking to a vet technician. You're talking to an actual vet licensed in your state that you live. And that veterinarian is available oftentimes within the hour to have a virtual video call with your vet. It's definitely the cheapest option that I've seen on, on the market. And it's thinking about that we are either headed or already in a recession. I imagine that lots of people would find the service valuable. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk through those economics for a second. I mean, $15 a month, that does sound rather economical, right? It would only take one visit or preventing, I should say, one visit to a traditional vet to have made up for that. Are, are there additional costs? I assume you're paying for any medication or things on top of that, but what yeah. costs are, is this avoiding for the typical pet owner? So a typical office visit is going to be 50 to to $100, depending where you live. And it's also just saving you the hours of your day that you take off, drive, come back, this and that. So it's saving you half a day of your time and an office visit at the very least. It's also just saving you the fact that you're going to see someone right away. So oftentimes the comp isn't necessarily the office visit. It's the saving you the urgent care visit. And that's 500 to $2,000. Because oftentimes, as so many of us do, we're procrastinating and we are putting it off. Or maybe we're forced to procrastinate because, again, we're trying to get into a vet who's not available for a week or more. And so then... What we see is consumers are coming to us and two thirds of customers are coming to Dutch after 6 p.m. or on a weekend when their vet is closed. And again, with kids, it's like, of course, things happen on Thursday night or on Saturday morning. And so we're oftentimes saving customers the cost of urgent care visits, and that's much more expensive. So one urgent care visit saved would pay for a year of Dutch membership. Right. So that customer right there is going to be somebody who probably has a situation that's driving them to have signed up for the service. So that kind of then begs the question, why did you guys choose the subscription model, right? Why does that make sense versus maybe even offering that alongside of a more transactional base or visit-based approach? The majority of the issues that customers are coming to us for happen to be chronic. So it's things like anxiety, which happens a lot to shelter animals. And frankly, most dogs have some form of anxiety. It also, we see allergy and germ issues, which can be seasonal, but they definitely happen multiple times a year. And the other unique thing with Dutch is we've also invested on the back end into our own digital record system. So this is making a consumer-grade digital record tool, like an account of what's actually going on with your animal. And so we wanted those tools to not be one time. And frankly, if you're having to choose to pay $75 every month or every other month that you're going to the vet, 
for anxiety, for allergy, this is a far more efficient relationship that we would establish through a subscription service than creating a bunch of one-time relationships. So I think it, it goes back to wanting a longer term relationship and therefore the subscription is a signal that facilitates that. Yeah, definitely. Do you see challenges though with consumers signing up for a couple of months and then canceling? Or what do you see in terms of the average cycle that a customer stays with you? We do. So there's definitely a set of consumers who sign up because we offer both. We offer monthly and annual plans. And we see consumers who are signing up for the annual plan. And we see consumers who are signing up for the monthly plan. And of course, if you just saved $1,000 from going to urgent care and you paid $25 for the monthly membership, like you've just found the best deal of your life. Yeah. And you may think, I don't need to do this again. So you cancel. We definitely have some of those customers come back later. Like I said, when the issue is back or they're here to see us again. I think for us, the lesson learned is it's Dutch as a company, like you said, we're invested in creating a sort of like a 360 long-term relationship with our customers. So to me, when I see the monthly member churn, it's more of a message. I haven't created the value for them to be here a year. And so I would say as we're going to be announcing a number of partnerships that make it this 360 experience. So it's going to be things like launching insurance, which helps to protect you throughout the year as part of a, a bundled plan. It's going to be launching wellness plans. It's going to be launching partnerships with brick and mortar. And again, in our world where we can pass our digital records seamlessly through an API, that becomes very lucrative for someone to hang on to that digital record. So to me, it's making sure we're investing in the lifetime, the long-term relationship of your needs as a pet parent. Yeah. I mean, those are some very smart insights right there. If we're being only a year and a half into this to see that that churn is telling you something, right? And to listen to that and to try to figure out how to continue to deliver value. At the end of the day, just like insurance, it's kind of the type of service that the, your customers hope they don't need. They don't want to go to the vet, even televet, right? For that matter, they hope that's that they're, that's healthy. But as soon as they do, they want it to be there, right? They want it to be accessible. Having somebody that's already got the records, already knows who your pet is, its weight and its history and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of value to that, right? Yeah. But I think, and like, but to this point, again, we haven't cracked the nut yet on someone signing up for Dutch when they're a passive customer. And maybe that's just how it is when it comes to healthcare. It's not like I think about my dentist until the calendar date for my cleaning is like showing up on as a pop-up, but like, otherwise it's not something I'm like voluntarily raising my hand for. So I think that there is this time and it could be at the time you're adopting your pet it could be when there is an issue, but that's kind of when we have that parent's attention and then they're going to make a decision. I do think kind of as some pillars of me as an entrepreneur, and you kind of said this, it's like, we're not trying to trick the consumer. We want to provide them real value for the whole time that we're here with real services and real products. And then I think 
again, thinking that we're going to be in a recession, it's really making sure that we're providing them amazing value and that that value is clearly communicated and one that they can take advantage of. But yeah, it's making sure we're really delivering the products and services that make them want to sign up at the time that they're ready to pay attention and that those services are really delivering cost savings to the customer. So then let's kind of go down that path and talk about acquisition for a minute. I mean, you were talking about certain events that are definitely going to trigger a consumer to think about this sort of service, but what channels are you guys using to get in front of those new members, maybe working with adoption centers and things like that? I'm sure there's a lot of creative channels, but where and when are you trying to reach potential new subscribers? Right now, our biggest channel is Google by far. We've invested a lot in SEO. And so we have hundreds of articles that are ranked on the first page, several in the top three results, because Again, there's just so much, so many issues that are happening to animals that their people are searching for. So investing in SEO has been a big pillar, but again, it's showing up on Google as well. That's kind of the other big area of acquisition. We've started to use Facebook and Instagram more for retargeting. And other than that, like you mentioned, there's definitely a couple other channels that are interesting, but the biggest ones I would say are Google and SEO. So with Google, you're really relying on content there, right? So that when those search words are going in, they're saying, what's wrong with my pet? Why does he have this rash? Then you've got an article showing up there on the first page. So is it, are you doing any paid search there? Or are you really relying on yeah. content to drive? No, no, so paid, yeah, yeah, paid, yeah, paid as well. And the thing that makes Dutch unique and different versus any of our competitors or kind of really anything that's out there is that we have 100% vets who, if appropriate, can actually write a prescription. Many other services may simply give advice, but it doesn't actually solve your problem because if at the end of the day, you still have to go to the vet, you're sort of back where you started. The, the key differentiator is actually solving or trying to solve that problem. And it may be, but of course, that what you have to see someone in person. 25% of our vets are sending the pet parent to a brick and mortar clinic because it is not appropriate for telemedicine. But there are so many low hanging fruit out there for a stopgap solution. Like I mentioned, okay, go see someone in three weeks, but here's something you can do for the weekend when your vet's closed. What are some of the challenges you guys are running into from a delivering the service perspective? You're using licensed vets in the States. I know insurance and healthcare, even for animals, is a highly regulated environment. I was playing around on the website. I noticed Tennessee is apparently one of the states that won't allow you to do prescriptions over the phone. So how are you guys working through that and kind of not only working through that, but trying to get consumers comfortable with the fact that, yes, we actually can provide a service over the phone or over the web? So many of these are battle scars that I had to go through hymns and it's a number of, it is, it's a very complicated business because we have to have the right vets in the right states available at the right time. When there's consumer demand, we have to have the right messaging tools. Like I said, we invested in this whole backend digital record tool that that's how vets communicate with pet parents. I think partially, by the way, 
this is why it's been so important to invest in brand because as a consumer, if I saw a brand that looks cartoony or looks like it was made by kind of a young dude out of college, I wouldn't put a lot of faith and trust that their systems and medical setup is legit. So I think this is kind of us investing in beautiful photography, beautiful branding is hopefully signaling that this is a buttoned up service that cares as much about how it operates as it does, that it does about branding. So, but yeah, there's, it's a pretty complicated supply chain operational system to make sure that it's all working. I will say though, all of our calls are video calls. So you actually see the veterinarian who is talking to you. And I think we do NPS scoring of every post-call summer after every call that we track, but, and it's incredibly high. And generally speaking, you're so relieved to talk to a human being and not a robot over text or that you have to wait. So being able to actually see someone same day, I think people are so relieved. In fact, that's kind of the big uh, brand word we have is really making sure that we can provide that relief, that customers are extremely delighted and that they can actually have a 20-minute conversation, show their animal. Another kind of plus for telemedicine is you didn't have to drag this poor soul in a crate or in your car, sit in a parking lot. You're in your home. The animal is comfortable. You can show the animal without having to drag them around, especially when they are sick. So I think, again, like as the pet owner, you feel good that you could do that. And you just had a a very comforting, reassuring call with someone who knows what they're talking about. So I think that's certainly the biggest way that you communicate authority is through the knowledge of the veterinarian. And then actually all of our veterinarians are required to do post-call summaries. So then you kind of get, again, this digital record of the conversation of what's being suggested. So I think all those digital services, all that communication is part of helping the consumer feel like this is legitimate and this is something that that I should trust. And like I said, we do a lot of serving to make sure that's actually what the consumers are feeling. Yeah. Well, I would have to believe here the biggest component of your supply chain is the, the veterinarians themselves, right? So what about you guys bringing them on board? Why wouldn't they want to go work at a typical clinic? And then What's that experience like for them, right? And how are you nurturing them in a way to feel like they are part of your brand and your service? So we definitely invest. We have a whole team dedicated to veterinarians from recruiting, onboarding, maintaining, and continuous communication. We have a clinical director who basically is available, certainly one-on-one. We also have specialists. So these are the specialists in behavior issues, in allergy issues, in internal medicine issues, who have created a lot of protocols and content to help veterinarians. And there's definitely, we have almost 100 vets on our platform. So like there's definitely a community of vets. And for them, we're doing almost every month an educational hour So we highlight a specific specialist who goes, and so it's providing them kind of additional education. I think for them, the other interesting thing is 
telemedicine is new. So to the extent they're looking to mix up their work and do something different, this is mm-hmm. that avenue. For many, like I mentioned, they have been actually out of the workforce for a number of reasons. Maybe it's because they're taking care of kids, maybe because they cannot go into an office. And so this is actually giving them a way to use their degree in a way that they haven't been able to do. And then, of course, there's others who, for whom this is extra supplemental income in addition to their regular job. Are they independent contractors or are they employees? Yes, they're independent contractors. Yeah. When you said the statistic that the vast majority of those coming out of veterinary school now are are women, right? And they're going to get older. They're going to want to have families. And so many of them, for their own personal reasons, just don't want to go into an office anymore. I got to think this is a very attractive alternative to their traditional setup, right? Oh, yeah. It's amazing. And it pays far more than the traditional setup. The average vet, according to Bureau of Labor Statistics, makes $50 an hour. And with Dutch, they're making $80 per hour. Wow. That's amazing. That's very attractive, I'm sure, to to many of them. Yep. Well, what's next for you guys? I mean, you, you mentioned some partnerships and some different ways to continue to deliver value across the platform, reduce churn and kind of continue to increase lifetime value and any other things that you want to touch on? I think the things I'm really excited about are additional ways that we're going to almost pad our insurance with additional value. And I think consumers are always looking for value. I think we're in a time where value is even more acutely important. Like you mentioned, inflation, cost of care continues to only go up. So this is a chance for people to save money. So I'm excited about thinking about different parts of your pet journey, whether it's insurance, getting vaccinations or wellness plans being taken care of, but really thinking of a year, at least your pet's life and finding pockets to save money during that year. Yeah. Could there be an opportunity to, there is care, no doubt, that is going to, at some point, require them going there, whether maybe that's for a vaccination or going to a physical clinic. Is that an opportunity for you guys to kind of work alongside somebody so that when you are saying, oh, now it's time to go, you're going to have to go in, there's actually some place to send them? Yes. This is like, are you putting on your business development hat? (laughs) (laughs) It just naturally seems to make sense, so... Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Yeah, I think there are some really natural offline brick and mortar partnerships, just specifically for that reason. And that's, again, I think to the folks who are saying telemedicine will get rid of brick and mortar, I actually think we can be that front door that brings in more customers. And there's completely a supernatural relationship between us, a digital clinic and a brick and mortar. Cool. Well, Joe, this has been a very interesting conversation. I mean, this is absolutely one of those areas where, to your point, there just hasn't been a lot of change that's happened here, and it's it's certainly ripe for it. And with consumers just getting more used to the telemedicine concept, this is just a natural extension of that. If anybody wants to learn more or has questions about maybe some of the things we talked about today, where should they go? Dutch.com. And they can always email me personally, joe at Dutch.com. Any, if, uh, if any vets, we're always looking for more vets to work on our platform also. Awesome. Well, Joe, thanks so much for the time today. Really enjoyed the conversation and best of luck to you guys. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Subscription Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. 
If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network. 